Welcome back to Humans with Josh Lohans, a podcast for people who want the world to slow down and become more human. My name is Josh Lohans, and you're listening to Season 2 of Humans. Every episode, I ask one interesting person to tell me their life story. Hello, Chris. Can you tell me um, how your parents met? Oh, man. Um, yeah, so I know that and my grandmother, she worked at SAS, which is a, a big airline. So she worked at the airport. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, wait, am I, am I messing this up? What I do remember, I'm going to have to go back and ask my parents for this. They're going to be <laughs> disappointed that I don't remember. But I know there was something where, where my grandma... Uh, she found my dad somehow. She met my dad, and then she said to my mom uh, uh, that, yeah, I, I have this guy for you, you know? I have this guy for you, and he's so handsome, and he's successful. You you need to date this guy. And uh, wow. I think my mom thought thought he was very handsome. He is handsome. He is a very handsome man. I and see that. Uh, uh, it's been passed on. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, he's way tanner than I am, though. I uh, I'm whiter than this table here, so I got to work on that. But uh, yeah, so I remember uh, th- they got introduced, and my mom thought as well that he oh, yeah he seems charming and he seems uh, he seemed very eager. Apparently, uh, my mom is also very beautiful, so so I could see why. And uh, yeah, I think that was basically it. They got introduced by my grandmother, and that they just hit it off from there. That's interesting. Does it, does your grandmother strike you as that kind of person who would always do that? Does she still do that? Does she do that to you? <laughs> Did she do that to you? Yeah, yeah. So she she actually recently passed away, mm-hmm. but she she was definitely the kind of person who would, uh, yeah, in in a fun loving way, tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So when we were there eating dinners, she would al- always. You know, the stereotypical, here, have some more potatoes, have some more mm-hmm. meat. No, no, I'm full. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So your mother worked at uh, for the airline, SAS? Yeah. So I think it's called a ground stewardess. So she she would do the part where you check in all the passengers uh, and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, she's told me that she would she would usually, you know, start at 4 a.m., you know, those horror shifts get up really, really early to be there. Um, and I know she enjoyed it, but uh, she, she quit after I was born to take care of me. Um, I'm not sure if she did straight away or after a while, but I, I know she stopped working there quite uh, quickly after that. Mm-hmm. And your dad, what did he do? Yeah, so Daddy, he is... Um, uh, financial advisor i think his role is called now so he he essentially does um corporate economics right uh mm-hmm. bookkeeping i guess you call it yeah um so as far as i know he did that uh right after uh graduating from economics economic school i suppose university mm-hmm. and then he's done that his whole life uh essentially okay um and then they they had you and uh, and you have a, a brother 
Yeah, so they had me fairly quickly, I think, and they weren't mm. married, so that mm. was <laughs> that was blasphemous, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So my mom comes from a, a religious family. My dad doesn't mm. at all. But uh, so I know she got pregnant, and uh, I actually think that I was about to be born in Switzerland when they were on a trip there, uh, oh, wow. because because you live there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but uh, but they they made it home in time. But um, so yeah, they got married for, uh, quite late after that because my brother, who's four years younger than me, was. Uh, he was at the wedding, so oh, wow. uh, yeah, they they played it differently, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose. That's cool. So they were willing to break with with tradition a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Anger well, God a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, was that what do you do? You know if that was the plan from the beginning? Two kids, um, four family household, a uh, four four person household. I I don't think that I mean my dad my dad was 26 uh when they had me and I know from conversing with him that he was and just thinking about it in general 26 that's young that's too young in my mind mm-hmm. and it was for him too so I think that he didn't want kids hmm. and but he felt like the right thing to do was to step up to the plate mm-hmm. and uh i know he said after once i once i popped out things changed but um yeah so i don't think it was the plan at all mm-hmm. actually interesting um but they were happy to have you and and we're happy to even have a second one I mean, yeah, I'd hope so. <laughs> I'd, I'd assume so. It'd be silly if they did the same mistake again, right? <laughs> no, but so, um, yeah, so so they they were so happy with it that they decided they wanted another one. And I think even Dad might have been uh, the one pushing that, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, it, it somehow makes sense to me that after like three years, you're like, okay, we if we want. A couple, we better have one soon because we don't want them to be too far apart in age. Yeah, yeah, um, hmm. yeah. Cool. Um, do you do you consider yourself uh, a happy child? Were you a, an easygoing baby? If you if you know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was a little before the time of uh, ubiquitous video cameras everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But. In, in all the photos, I, I seem to be smiling. My mom always said I was a happy baby. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I would assume I was. Um, but like I told you before we started, I, I, I have a kind of a somewhat clouded memory of, of much of that. And uh, it's a lot of things that has happened the last 10 years or so, uh, or even 20 years uh, or so that's uh, taken precedence in my mind so that mm-hmm. I don't... I don't really know. And these questions you've asked me now have made me think about things that I haven't thought about in a long time. So, but, but I think so. I think I was fairly happy baby, yeah. What was your first memory? Or what is the first memory that you can still recall? 
Yeah, I, I think I'm a little biased here because I've worked on... Uh, in therapy, I've worked with different memories. And so the first one that comes up is a, a, a memory in that context mm -hmm. uh, where I was at uh, an island called Marstrand, Marstrand in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And they have a famous castle there. And so I was there with dad and we, we flew a kite uh, outside of the castle walls there. So I think that's the first one I remember. Maybe I was four, four years old, something like that. Oh, cool. Is yeah. that near Gothenburg? Um, I mean, it, it's a few hours away, I think, with bus. Okay. Uh, so was yeah. that like a field trip or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Marstrand <laughs> is, is a classic summer. Uh, uh, yeah, you go there to have an ice cream, walk around the island, look at the castle. Mm -hmm. It's nice. And, and you were born in, in um, Gothenburg, right? Yeah, that's right. So I was born here. And from what I understand, we lived in Gothenburg until I was four years old. And then we moved uh, about an, uh, 45 minutes, an hour outside of the city to a place called Kulavik, which is a more secluded little um, kind of a rich man town. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of tennis, a lot of sailing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's where I spent most of my life uh, up until my 20s or so. Okay. Interesting. Um, what was the first sport you remember taking up? Mm. If any. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I feel like a lot of kids did the same thing where you just try tons of different sports. Mm -hmm. So foot, uh, soccer, uh, of course, everyone played that. Um, I tried handball mm -hmm. just w one one time. And I, I remember it being extremely traumatic because <laughs> because I was uh, we were at some kind of a sports fair, and you would just jump in uh, to get to try the sport. And I remember my dad wanted me to try it, and I jumped in, and I didn't know the rules, mm -hmm. so I got fouled or something. The the mm -hmm. judge kind of yelled at me, and I got so scared and, and sad. And uh, so I tried that, and then I did. I actually did fencing. Uh, fencing for quite a few years and became pretty good at that. I think maybe between age seven to 11 or something like that. So a lot of medals from the fencing days, but okay. I found that I resonated more with individual sports. Mm -hmm. So I also tried hockey, didn't like that that much. So fencing and then martial arts a little bit mm -hmm. um, where I didn't have to be in a team. So I, I preferred that. Not setup. a team player. <laughs> Yeah, no, I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. Uh, what was the martial arts that you did after uh, fencing? Kung fu, I think I tried. I tried. But all of these have done the same thing where I've, you know, I give it a term, but then I quit. Mm -hmm. So Wing Chun Kung Fu, I think I tried Judo. Uh, and then in older years, I've also tried Krav Maga, like Israeli. Oh yeah, uh, brutal self-defense mm -hmm. and Thai boxing as well. Okay, and MMA. Shit, I've done a lot. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. MMA is, as far as I know, one of those sports where you have to have done lots of other things so that you can mix them all up. Is that how it works? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it stands for, right? So mixed martial arts. Right. But I, you get to train all of them. Uh, right. Uh, when you start. 
So I don't think you have to know it beforehand, but it probably helps, yeah. Mm. Is there an MMA style you use particular disciplines for particular parts of the fight? Like for um, grappling, you use jiu-jitsu or for... Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, so I think they mix quite uh, uh, vividly. They they do, I know, submission wrestling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, is probably the the main components, but then they have elements from, you know, boxing, Thai boxing, kickboxing. Um, yeah, I only did it for six months because... Uh, so, uh, yeah, I have a lot of injuries and stuff that kind of prohibits me from doing that. But um, but it was fun. I mean, it's it's there's something interesting in getting to um, act out violence in a friendly context and in a safe context. There's something very I'm I resonate very much with it, and I can get very into. <laughs> you know, people who, and I actually, this is funny because I hate, I think this is so silly when I see it, but I've done it myself. Uh, it's when, you know, people on Instagram and they do this, they make it seem like going to the gym and working out, for instance, is this glorious Lord of the Rings uh, hero's journey kind of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And they have some serious, uh, super inspirational quote and they're just doing a fucking bench press or something. Mm -hmm. Never give up. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, so I had that times 100. I would just, you know, put on super intense movie music and like get myself hyped up because this was the big battle uh, before training and stuff like that. So, okay. yeah, something there I resonate with, I think. That's cool. So you made a, you made a story out of it and... Yeah, 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 cool. You uh, were you a, a a curious child? Would you say that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I think that's something that is still a defining quality, to a large extent, and uh, which is why I call myself the the irrevocably curious dickhead. Uh, on Twitter. I do yeah, think, I've yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that the uh, the curiosity is, is one of the leading uh, lights in my life, I think, still. So uh, mm -hmm. definitely a curious child, yeah. A lot of questions. Did, did that lead you onto a lot of adventures as well? Um, I mean, uh, I, I did have seven concussions before the age of 13. Wow. So... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so exploring the world head first, like I used to say. And um But 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 I've I guess it depends on how how what you mean by adventure as well because I've come to become more of a internally adventurous person. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, so I like to journey inwards into that universe and I love conversation. I think that just the fact that we can sit like this right now, I don't I don't think this is appreciated enough. I'm making noises with my vocal cords here. Just just with noises. And you you can create concepts and understand and decode what I'm saying here. Mm. And we can somehow teach each other, we can have fun, we can make each other laugh. It's insane that we can mm. that we can have this conversation, I think. And yeah. so so to me, that's so exciting in and it's in and of itself that I have never felt like I need the external go to the pyramids. Mm -hmm. We have this, man. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is this? 
Uh, well, I consider climbing trees and falling off them and getting concussions pretty adventurous. So. Right. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. What? Uh, was it mainly like falling off trees, or how, did you fall off skateboards, or what? Yeah. Let's see if I can remember. So I know the first one was uh, the the worst one uh, medically, and so mm -hmm. the school that I went to uh, was. Um, it was, it was named after a, a sail ship, sailing ship. Um, and so they had a huge, huge, uh, ship that you could climb on, like mm -hmm. on the schoolyard. Wow. And so I remember the first time I was up high in one of the masts, maybe, maybe I think it was higher cause I was so small <laughs> back then, mm -hmm. but I think it was almost two meters up or something like that. So fairly high. Mm -hmm. And so I fell down from that and I landed straight on a rock with my head. Oh. And from this, I, I just remember I was completely out. And a guy who was incidentally was my rival when I was younger and kind mm -hmm. of a, a, a bully. He saved me. He carried me into the teachers. And I just vaguely remember sitting on the chair, being really woozy. And they're trying to see if I was still there. Wow. And then the ambulance came. And uh, I think I was unconscious for, for a long time. I didn't remember my mom. I didn't know who she was. Um, wow. so, so that was the worst one. And ever since then, the doctor has been telling me, no more concussions because that's not good for you. <laughs> you have to be careful. You'll get internal bleeding. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, just six after that, though. So that's fairly, fairly <laughs> good, right? But so after that, I think one more from a tree. <laughs> one... Actually, two. I, I fell out of a tree. The seventh one uh, was recently. It was five years ago. Oh, wow. I went back to that uh, uh, that time, and I climbed a tree, and I fell down. And Sam, after that, it was falling on the ground, playing games, falling on an ice hill, uh, trying to skate down it on my feet. Mm. So things like that, yeah. Did, playing hard. Yeah. It, it wasn't like you had poor balance or something. It was just, just you were doing dangerous things. Yeah, I think the ladder. I think the ladder. I'm kind of into slacklining. Do you know oh, what wow. that is? Yeah. yeah. So I, I'd say my balance is pretty good, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Have you had any concussions? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I fell onto my uh, head pretty hard when I was a little kid. I fell off my uh, uh, high chair as okay. a baby and, and uh, had needed stitches. Ooh. Um, but... Um, I don't know. Now, now talking about this, I have a, a, a theory that it makes you smarter falling on your head. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I hope so. But I would be, I'd be much smarter, I think. But <laughs> or maybe yeah. I'd be much dumber if I hadn't fallen on my head. Yeah, say like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it. it uh, you know, all the all the blood rushing into your brain and and rewiring <laughs> things. Like, maybe that helps. <laughs> yeah, just scrambling it a bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, were you into music as a as a preteen oh yeah yeah so i'd say music was probably the, the defining thing for me between six and 16 even mm -hmm. so i remember my grandpa he uh, he played guitar mm. and around five years old i think i I picked up a fascination for guitar and I wanted to learn. 
and they told me that my fingers were too small, so I couldn't do it, mm-hmm. right? And uh, but I did. I was I was very very into that, and I don't know if it started uh, then already, but I remember in my yeah early uh, preteens and my teens, I would come home from school, and I would sip with my guitar for hours on end just uh listening to acdc albums trying to learn to play uh just by by hearing it um so yeah that was i I wanted to become a musician up until maybe 18 or 19 that was what i really wanted to do Um, and uh, was always playing guitar did you try any other instruments my mom was a piano teacher uh, on Mm. the side and so I did play piano a bit. I never really got into it because the notation in in piano, uh, oh, let's see if I remember this saying, but they say something like, if you want want a guitar player to stop playing, you put notation in front of him. If you want a (laughs) piano player to stop playing, you remove the notation. (laughs) So so I hated musical theory. I thought it was so boring. I don't care for this. Like, I just want to vibe. I just want to play and jam. And so piano was more mom wanted me to, you know, structurally learn all the uh, notation. And so I know she paid me once to, uh, during a summer, to be able to teach me Furelis. Furelis. It's, uh, I think it's Beethoven. And so I did. And that was fun. And I, mm-hmm. I still play that sometimes to, to sound like I, I know what I'm doing there. <laughs> uh, to, but, uh, to impress little children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so mainly that. And then I like, I really like drums. I don't know if I played much when I was a kid. Uh, more on, you know, pans and pots, the classic mm-hmm. thing. Oh, cool. But I'm very into rhythm. But mm-hmm. uh, mainly guitar. So some singing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you sing while you play guitar? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I've been, for a long period, I've been the obnoxious guy at the party <laughs> who picks up the guitar against everyone's will and and just plays his songs. <laughs> so yeah, I, I still do that occasionally. Uh, so by by your songs, you mean like things that you wrote yourself, or yeah, yeah, or songs that I like that nobody has ever heard of. Like people always told me that you know you need to learn songs that people will appreciate, that people can sing along with. Right. Some... I, I I never got that. Why would I do? I'm playing for me. <laughs> I'm playing for me. And funnily enough, my. I used to use that when I was a little older trying to pick up girls. Guitar was, you know, was a, a nice thing to have. Right. And so I would do the most obnoxious things where I would, you know, I would have a routine. I would <laughs> get girls uh, home to my place and I had special songs I would play for them. You know, I'd look them in their eyes. <laughs> and um, my my now wife, uh, she was the only girl that didn't think this was cool at all. She <laughs> thought I was a loser for doing it. And it's so funny. So uh, wow. <laughs> so I don't play as much anymore. <laughs> oh, She's no. like, oh, are you going to play again? Or do you have to play? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is cool, right? Yeah. But as, I guess that uh, really also makes it really clear the difference between playing for yourself and playing for other people, right? Because if she doesn't like it, then the only reason you play is for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to what I said before about me, I mean... For a long time, it was uh, a lot about practicing. So mm-hmm. you just want to be able to perform uh, the different techniques. So mm-hmm. I would practice scales and I would do things like that. But then once I got to a comfortable space where I felt like I, I can do what I 
need to do. So now it's more about expressing whatever is coming. Like I hear this, I hear it inside and I just want to play it, um, externalize it. And so I would just come home. I would create these backing tracks with drums and bass and I would connect my electric guitar to the computer and I would lay on my back on the floor for like three hours to the same looping track and just wow. improvise. Uh, yeah. You know, solo guitar. It was, okay. um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I kind of miss that a lot actually. Hmm. You stopped playing guitar when you were 19 or something like that. Yeah. So I'm a little insecure about the timeline, but somewhere around there where, um, it's kind of a long story behind it, but but to, to make it shorter, I got really obsessed with working out mm -hmm. at around maybe 15 years old. Um, and I did that to excess uh, to the point where my body started shutting down and mm -hmm. I got extreme pain in my forearms and my hands and my fingers. Mm -hmm. And I got really scared of playing, which mm -hmm. was actually a real tragedy now when i look back i don't think i've acknowledged until now how uh shitty that was for me to not be able to do what i love the most mm -hmm. but i chose working out over uh over playing guitar uh, for all the wrong reasons which we might get into but um yeah so that now i just pick up the guitar here and there i still have the fear the mental fear of playing a bit but i i'm hoping to go back into playing with a band uh, I'm planning to do that. I miss the stage and being obnoxious on stage with the guitar behind your back and no, no top and leather pants, you know, all that <laughs> juice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Let's hope that happens. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, I want to, yeah, I want to ask a few more questions about your, your childhood before we get into the adult stuff. Um, you, let's talk about toys and play. What did you like mm -hmm. to play with? Yeah, so Legos, Legos were a big thing. We had like five big plastic bags, like uh, plastic uh, jars uh, mm -hmm. like that, just filled with pieces of Lego. So I remember doing that a lot. Um, I don't know if Game Boy counts, but I, I, I played a lot of Game Boy. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I remember we had... Uh, we had screen time one hour a day, so we could only uh, play for one hour with those things. Mm -hmm. As many parents seem to think is a good thing, like whatever your kids are really into must be bad for them. So right, we have to limit it, right? <laughs> so, um, but kids are ingenious. So I, I came up with this story where I don't know how old I was at this point, eight maybe, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, you can literally tell me, you can, I can't, I can't differentiate between someone who's 12 and someone who's seven. I don't know the difference, <laughs> <laughs> right? But, uh, but I remember coming home and creating this intricate story for my mom, this narrative that mom, when I come home, I just really want some time by myself. And I just love sitting on the bathroom, taking a long poop. <laughs> poop. So I would lock myself in the bathroom so I could play Pokemon, Pokemon Blue. Mm -hmm. And so that wouldn't count in my screen time. So I love oh, doing I that. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, playing cards, uh, magic, the gathering. I liked mm -hmm. Pokemon there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 
that's that's what I remember. Maybe some action figures in the bathtub. I used to torture Spider-Man figurines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awful! But it was fun for some so reason. You, so you played the the uh, evil people in the Spider-Man story. <laughs> I guess I just remember one thing. I don't. I hope I didn't do this all the time. I sound like a psychopath, <laughs> but I used to have this little Spider-Man figurine that was my favorite, and I would put him in like boiling water. <laughs> something it really sounds like the origin story of a ted bundy or something yeah yeah uh, that's funny yeah good stuff very empathetic uh, as a kid uh, um that's i don't know why i find that so funny <laughs> yeah you tortured the little spider-man figures <laughs> But it was something about adversity. He was, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just trying to rationalize it. I was just evil, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, did you have a favorite subject at school, at primary school? Yeah, so primary school is that when you're younger, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, math, which I can't believe now because I hate it. <laughs> But I, I, I remember we had these math books up until maybe sixth grade or something like that so up mm -hmm. till middle school i think it's mm -hmm. called where you would just write in the book so the book was fun you know it was cool colors it looked nice you would write straight in it the answers and i was great at it i was top of my class i loved it i just wanted to get to the next level mm -hmm. and then this i remember very clearly they introduced okay now you're in sixth grade now it's more serious and you have one book for the assignments but then you have to write it in this square papered fucking other book they have to keep a hold of and i just gave up then and there i said okay i'm done with math i guess that's really um, incredible like it's actually really messed up like <laughs> why like it sounds like they just took all the gamification out of it and just said let's try this without gamification <laughs> exactly it's like totally nonsensical somehow Yeah, like, okay, you, you, you're thinking this is a little too fun. <laughs> yeah. It's the same principle, like one hour a day, or in this case, we need to make it more adult and boring, you know? If it's too fun, it's, they won't learn anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's so, and we, we laugh at it, but I actually think people think this. I, I yeah. think that oh, yeah. they think, oh, no, it's, it's an addiction, it's something, it's a misuse of something. But I think it's the other way around. Fun is the way you learn, and I excelled yeah. in math because I loved it. It was yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It, it surprises me when I meet people who think that's bad. Like it was really shocking. I, I teach some design thinking courses, and I had one in one of my recent courses, one participant who was complaining that it was too much fun. Like oh, wow. they were just saying, like this is like kindergarten shit. Like I was just like, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like we want to find that playfulness. Like <laughs> right. And he just didn't it, get it at all. Like, Sounds like a fun person to hang out with. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, we're having a little too much fun right now. Let's, let's make it serious. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's... I, I, I think... And this is awful. Uh, school seems to... I don't know. I, I don't think it's, it's necessarily all bad, but it seems to really teach you that learning is... It teaches you to equate memorization root memorization and boring grind with learning right. which is supposed to be the most 
in my view, one of the most fun and meaningful things in life. I think right. anyone having fun is learning. It doesn't yeah. have to be at an explicit level. It can be something very subtle, just yeah. as vibing and conversation can be learning. But, yeah. uh, but so then after school, people are just, I'm done with learning. Yeah. Not, not, nothing more of that. And I think yeah. that's, uh, that's not a good thing. It's, it's and, um, yeah. It is. And I, I've also found for myself that people who are, who I find the most interesting, who are super curious, want to talk about, you know, uh, they're curious about themselves, other people, deep topics. Um, they're also the silliest, the, mm -hmm. the, the ones who can laugh and, you know, you have the two edges there that can be really serious and really into ideas. And then you can be super happy and, and laugh. And it's not always the case, but I find that a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I find that interesting too. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. That is very interesting. I, uh, I, I also liked math as a child. I like it less now. Uh, I yeah. liked it a little bit longer, I think until mid teens. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, at university, I wanted to have nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, I had to just, it worked out that I had to do another math class at the end of my, my studies. And right. it was like a entry level math. So I thought, oh, this will be easy, but I, I found it actually relatively difficult. It had been four years since I'd done high school maths. Mm. Um, but I used Khan Academy, which is this gamified math platform. And we go. I used that to teach myself the math that we were doing in class because it was all boring textbooks and I couldn't get into it. Yeah. But I, with yeah. Khan Academy, it was really easy. And I, yeah. that, I mean, that's insane though, because you, we pay all this money. We spend so much time. I mean, going to university four years of your time, that's quite a, a big chunk. Yeah. Three or four years or five years if you do the, the master's, right? But I, I did five I, years I know for bachelor's. <laughs> Even better. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But go ahead. But sorry. Were, yeah. Yeah. But so, um, I, I, because I just graduated fairly recently. Last summer, I graduated cognitive science, my bachelor's in that. And I waited a long time before I did that because mm -hmm. I was convinced I didn't need university. I still don't think you do, but uh, I think the, the, the stamp on the paper will help me, unfortunately, mm -hmm. more than the, the knowledge itself, mm -hmm. oftentimes. Yeah. But, but I just remember now uh, studying on some of these topics uh, after, after all these courses now when I'm done. And I learn in a weekend. I learn more than I do in three months just yeah. looking at YouTube. All right. That's crazy. It's, it's yeah. so devoid and detached from your individual problem situation and your individual interests. And... Yeah, I, I don't want want it to go, go, become a rant about about school, but <laughs> I'm realizing more and more that learning is so essential for for human prosperity and, and happiness. I think, and it's such a shame that people have this view of learning that's that's uh, not at all what learning is about, in my view. Yeah, yeah. I agree completely. Um, what was your favorite book um, growing up? Harry Potter. Harry Potter yeah. is the only book I remember, and I was obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. So uh, JK, she knows what she's doing. Mm -hmm. you, <laughs> you read them all as they were coming out? or Yeah, yeah. That was something I read with, with my parents. I'm actually not sure if I read with both of them. I, I think I did. 
uh, at different times. But yeah, I would I would buy the book as soon as it came out. Uh, it was so good, man. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think I've read fiction since then. Wow. Or I can't remember the last time I read fiction. Okay. Yeah. What What do you think it was about Harry Potter that you liked so much? Were you into the movies as well, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, at that point when the movies came out, it wasn't as big of a thing. So so not nearly, uh, you know, I was the classic, well, the books are better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> type of asshole. But the, uh, I don't know. I, I She's, well, she's a great writer. And the world that she creates for you is just so enticing i've heard a lot of you know parallels to i don't know jordan peterson it speaks about the hero's journey and things like that mm-hmm. i i'm not big into mythology and I've, I've been extremely anti his reliance on stories but i i think that i've come around uh, on that a little bit and i think there, there might be something to that mm-hmm. uh, but i don't I, know were, were I, you a fan yourself yeah yeah Harry yeah, Potter was yeah. a big thing for me too yeah so what's your theory yeah. there um yeah, I think story. I think I think that's the only thing I agree with Jordan Peterson about. <laughs> that, story. <laughs> yeah. that story matters. Yeah, story stories are so powerful. Yeah, right. And all societies come up with stories. I think stories are the f- first ways we also encapsulated knowledge in mm. stories. <clears throat> yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting into it more now. I had a strong face of you know the new atheism. Sam Harris kind of um, non-reliance on those things, mm-hmm. and I'm actually not. I'm I'm not settled in this. I don't know how much I think story plays into it. Um, but I mean, I love I love watching uh, movies as much as the next guy. So mm-hmm. uh, probably there's something there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever read um, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality? <laughs> no, but it sounds interesting. What's uh, that? I read this last year. It's fascinating. It's by Eliza Yukowski. Yud- oh yeah, the ra- yeah the yeah. Uh, rationality guy. Exactly. So he wrote this Harry Potter fan fiction um, called mm. Harry Potter and the Methods. Of- it's it's actually kind of a reimagining. It's an old parallel universe version of Harry Potter, in mm-hmm. which Harry Potter is a rationalist. And- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. It's really funny. It's and it's it he kind of I guess he used it also to try and teach like some of the principles that he writes in the sequences uh, and all these other places which are boring and dry and, and I never mm-hmm. bothered to read them because I find it boring and dry. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but when he made it into a Harry Potter story, I was like, Yeah, this is cool. Yeah. But I only discovered this last year and it, it he wrote that I think more than ten years ago. Wow. Um, I gotta check that out. I mean there there's definitely something to the power of narrative and and uh, I know there's a famous, I'm going to botch the example, but there's a, um, a famous cognitive science, uh, a cognitive psychology experiment where you, uh, it's meant to show that we're fairly bad at, at logical reasoning, mm-hmm. unless it's in a context that we mm-hmm. can relate to in, in the sense of a story. Mm-hmm. So it's something like, um, yeah, you have four cards and they have uh, either a number or um a letter on them and then you get a certain logical rule and the task is okay to make sure that the rule is followed which cards do you have do you have to turn over to enforce that this rule um and so when people do it like that 
with just logical structure and nothing else, almost everyone gets it wrong. But when you put it in the context of a story, okay, the police is trying to find out uh, if everyone drinking alcohol here is of legal age. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, on one side, you have what the person is drinking and on the other side, you have the age, Mm -hmm. which ones do you have to turn over? Almost Mm -hmm. everyone gets it right. It's the exact same task. That's super interesting. Yeah. So um, they used it to argue that we have some kind of evolutionary psychology module in our brain. I, I, I don't. For for like cheater detection or something like that, I I'm not sure I buy that explanation, but I, I find it interesting. Something there. Yeah, yeah. I think probably a more plausible explanation is something that um, intelligence requires a kind of narrative module, and that's what we're using to solve that. It's not about the cheater detection as such. It's the narrative yeah. structure which makes it more understandable because of the way our our brain is wired, maybe. Or the way that yeah, it needs I mean, to be wired for us to be intelligent. I also feel like it could very well be that. I just think that, in general, uh, it's the same problem uh, as with schooling that we that we discussed. That it's so devoid of your life and what you're interested in and what you care about. That right. why would you be good at understanding it in that context? What's the purpose? Right. Um, so you just don't care. I think to a large extent, but. Yeah, that's a good hypothesis. Yeah, you could probably like test that and say, can we make two stories, one which you can em- emote with and one which you can't, and yeah, then see if you yeah. answer that one better. Yeah, yeah. Maybe but, they have. Maybe they have. I'm I'm ignorant on that, but as we all are on most things. <laughs> yeah, man. Yep. Um. Uh, how how was school for you socially? Um, were you the center of attention or more of a outsider um at the edges yeah i um and this is where it would probably be different if you ask maybe if you ask me or if you ask someone else who saw it from the outside Mm -hmm. potentially but the feeling i've always had is yeah of trying to trying to fit in but not really feeling like i do like not really feeling like i belong i i I don't remember ever feeling like i was i had a strong-knit friend group where i wasn't kind of cheating my way into it or Mm -hmm. trying to pretend like i belong there but Mm -hmm. i knew that i didn't so i had to always uh, keep that up keep up that charade Mm -hmm. um so at least that's what i remember so so I always hung out with people who were considered the cool ones, mm-hmm. uh, at least much of the time, um, all throughout both primary, middle school, and high school. But I never felt, felt like that was... I wasn't part of the group in my own mind. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. But I've always been social. Um, less so in high school. Uh, in, in the sense of, I've always been social that I've been able to socialize but I'm also quite introverted, actually, in the sense that I, 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 at least now, I like being alone. I like hanging out with myself. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't think think I ever had explicit problems of having a really hard time talking to people. Has never been been the issue. Mm-hmm. And you weren't uh, bullied uh, extensively at school, or. 
No, I, I, I wouldn't say not in the, the classical sense of, you know, kids beating me or stealing my lunch or, or stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I did have people I, I looked up to a lot who were not very nice to me. So, mm-hmm. uh, so not stereotypical bullying, but, but I guess in my own head, it was, yeah, I felt, felt like an outsider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what can happen sometimes if you look up to people that are not very nice to you is that, uh, if they are bullies, then you bully people as well to emulate them. <laughs> mm, definitely had some. Hey, Spider-Man figurine, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, I definitely had elements of that where I tried to win their approval by by preying on people who were even uh, lower on the hierarchy than I was. So uh, mm-hmm. guilty of that to to some extent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially in in not high school, but the three years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, all right, let's, uh, move forward on the timeline towards finishing up high school. What was that like? Um, uh, how does it work? Actually, I don't know the Swedish school system. Is that like sort of, do you do uh, university entrance exams at the end of high school or how does that work? Uh, yeah. So, so I mean, by the end of our ninth school year then, uh, oh wait, let me see here. I'm actually blanking on. This is how how uh, boring I think school is. I don't even remember now. Uh, yeah, I think we do tests uh, similar to the SATs, I guess. Uh, maybe that is for college, actually. I don't know that system either. But but uh, in any case, yeah, we 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 need certain. Um, okay, no, 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 wait. Let me correct that. So we don't have a an obligatory test to go from uh, ninth grade to high school. Mm-hmm. We have there. We only go by grades mm-hmm. uh, to get in. But if you want, you can take something called högskoleprovet, which is essentially, yeah, the the university test, mm-hmm. which I would say is equivalent to the American SATs, where you can, if you got bad grades, for instance, you can get in by acing that test mm-hmm. instead. Um, so we do that. I mean, I I was good in school. Uh, when I was younger and I remember I I just applied for the most um, general program like social sciences, economics or something, you know, didn't care for it at all. Uh, Just wanted the easiest one. (laughs) And uh, uh, so I had fairly good grades. First year of high school, I had all A's, I think. And then it just declined. Second year, half A's, third year, uh, yeah, even worse than that. I still had good grades. I've never had to study hard for that, mm. but uh, I cared less and less, and I got more and more into uh, a workout addiction, uh, as I would call it, um, mm. which correlated with lack of interest in other things. What kind of working out were you doing? Uh, only strength training. So like weightlifting or? Yeah, yeah. Heavy, heavy, low rep, very intense. Um at least five days a week for, for wow. many many years. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what what got you into that? Yeah. So I think, in my mind, when I think back on my childhood, I remember. You know the the Adam and Eve story of you know before they ate the apple, everything was so nice, and they didn't know they were naked, and they were so happy and free. And then they eat the the forbidden fruit, and then they 
become self-conscious and ashamed mm -hmm. and things like that. I remember eating the apple. I remember the day. Uh, I think I was 12 years old, something like that. It was the summer I had for the first time, for some reason I'd gotten into tank tops or I thought it was cool not to have the, <laughs> the sleeves. So I cut one of my t-shirts to have, to have it sleeveless. Mm -hmm. And I went to school with it. It was all nice and dandy. And then I remember the guy, one of the guys I looked up to was also incidentally a, like a strong guy. He, he said something like, oh, but why do you have sleeveless like that? You have nothing to show or... You, you can't have that when you're so skinny or something like that. Right. Uh, and that's when I felt like all of a sudden I, I, I thought there was something wrong with my body. And mm -hmm. it got, I think it built on some previous problems I had uh, about thinking of my, my, thinking of myself as valuable in general. And it just took that shape. But it, it really, uh, yeah, it was like a mind virus kind of. And, and after that, I just really had to uh, get as big as possible. And, uh, it didn't stop once I got big either. It got hmm. kind of worse. So, uh, yeah. Hmm. How long did you do that for? What, so I think time? my, yeah, I think my mom, I mean, the, the dangerous thing about training is exercise is good for you. Right. Yeah. So it's even harder to recognize when it's becoming something bad and when it's not healthy anymore. So my mom was very much into stuff like that herself, but she was hesitant uh, of me starting to use weights too early because there's, I mean, uh, there were a lot of opinions back then that it could stop your growth and, you know, was dangerous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I remember training in the garage for a long time. Um just push up stuff like that when I was 14, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then 15, 16, starting at the gym. And then pushing that really hard. Life was about nothing else, essentially, until around 20, around 19 after I graduated. And then uh, I, I kind of crashed there, burned out, um, which made it hard to continue training like that. Mm. What was the burnout predicated by? Yeah, so I mean, it, it was definitely. And here is where I'm a little hesitant about. Um, you know, you don't want to get. Some people seem to think that you should focus. If you want to feel better emotionally, you should focus on the now. You should look at your thinking right now, like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. You can train your thoughts in different ways and you can learn to think and feel better that way. And mm -hmm. there's no use in going back to your past. Some meditators seem to think the same thing, like mm -hmm. just focus on the present. Because um, you don't want to get stuck in the victim story, right? Mm -hmm. So that you relive it and you define yourself now by problems you had in the past. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm of the... I'm of the school of thought that it is very important, maybe not necessary, but extremely useful to understand why you've become the way you have and why you have certain thought patterns and emotional tendencies. Mm -hmm. And so without going into the whole thing there, I think I learned early on that I, 
and I think a lot of people have this, that I'm not valuable. I can't think for myself. And I think the working out was a way for me to, this is how I will, if I just get big enough, I'll finally be valuable. Mm-hmm. I'll finally be, you know, accepted. Uh, my dad will love me and think I'm, I'm, I'm worth something. Uh, so that I think was deeply underlying that. And then, uh, it just became a really bad spiral where the bigger you get, you would think it would be get, get better. Right. And I remember the bully who initially started with that comment, he even told me eight years later or something, I ran into him and I remember him saying to me, wow, you're so buff, man. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, you're really, and that made it worse. Because oh now God. I felt like, oh no, now he thinks that I have to live up to this image. Am I really big enough? I need to get bigger, you know? Wow. So I always saw myself as skinny, even though I, I was maybe 30 pounds heavier than I am now. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty slim now, but I'm, I mean, I have some muscle now, so I was, I was big. Mm-hmm. But, um, but so it was com- a combination of the, the wrong drivers and constantly being stressed and worried about that, which takes its toll on the body, right? If you have the fight and flight system running all the time, Mm -hmm. all other organ systems will devote energy to sustaining that response because evolutionarily, if you're running from a tiger, digestion doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Rebuilding things doesn't matter. Like sleeping, good, none of that matters. You just need to fuel the response so you can survive the next hour. Mm -hmm. So if that keeps up, you'll end up with a big credit of all, all your organ systems. And eventually, while pushing with the stress of working out, I mean, working out is a stressor. Mm -hmm. It's not good to work out. It's good to have the response after working out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so my sleep started suffering. I ate everything I could come across. Calorie is a calorie because I just wanted to gain weight. And that's not good. Started to inflame my intestines. intestines. And then uh, with low sleep as well, I just, yeah, the body just, I remember that day going to the gym where every day I would have this intense, uh, like it was, I was so empowered and I had this great music and it was a battle every time. And I increased the weights every workout and it was so meaningful to me. And then that one day I just sat down to do one set and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do one rep and I, I I would just wanted to leave for the first time ever. And since then I haven't had a single workout. That's been the same after that. But um, but it took me many years after to realize that shit. I, I should have stopped working out then and there. But that was my whole identity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's a, a long rant. but uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it's very interesting. Um, so on that day, you kind of something shifted and you kept working yeah. out for months? I had, I had, to, after that, I came home and I just thought, what I've learned afterwards is what, what happens physiologically is that the, the adrenals that uh, work to produce cortisol and, and, and other hormones that keep you awake and, and regulate your circadian rhythm, your sleep cycles, they, they don't have enough resources anymore to create uh, all the uh, cofactors they need to produce these hormones. Yeah. They just stop. And if you don't have those hormones anymore, you feel very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd been running on adrenaline and, and cortisol and stuff, uh, 20 times my 
the normal levels. And now when that was gone, you know, you feel how tired you actually were. And so uh, I was sick for two weeks. I barely could get out of bed. And taking one week off the gym was a mental nightmare for me Mm. (laughs) at that time. So it was an identity crisis as well as a physical crisis. So I struggled with trying to find the right way to keep working out Mm. for many, many years. Uh, three four years and it just got worse so um so that that was not a fun time in my life um and it's so hard when that's the one thing you define yourself by right and like i told you before the guitar that got pushed aside for the working out Mm. now i had none of those you know who are you who am i and also i feel like absolute horseshit Mm -hmm. Uh, so that yeah yeah that was uh that was tricky. Did you start seeing doctors then to try and deal with that? Yeah. So I find that doctors in general, a- anything that doctors call a syndrome, mm-hmm. that's just a buzzword for we don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to be careful with that. But so so I went to a lot of doctors, but it's like they do the normal blood panel. And if you're within reference range on the normal markers... You're healthy. doesn't matter how you feel. <laughs> and so I was fine on many of those markers, but I mean, I was absolutely trashed. And so uh, I went to a lot of doctors, but but I just, you know, answers like everyone's tired, um, <laughs> you know, just take a walk. You, you know, things that are so <laughs> trivial and especially when you're feeling so bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so for many years there, uh, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia syndrome like generalized pain syndrome stuff like that um so no 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 help there whatsoever i would say and uh so i i you know i you you try to google your way to Mm -hmm. a solution and that's when it comes to the body i think it can be unless it's gone very far metabolically so you're already like that completely trashed car with two wheels left and the the gas pipe hanging on the floor, uh, then it's very hard to figure it out yourself. Yeah. Um, But so... And you maybe want to figure it out before you get to that point. (laughs) Exactly. So, so yeah. I think a lot of people... I heard someone say that sometime, that if you divide the screen here into three, three equal sections, you have the green zone, you have the yellow zone and the red zone. The green zone is where your body functions the way it's supposed to, your body and your brain. And then you have the yellow zone where most people are kind of living, where you have a lot of aches and pains and issues, but you function. And then you have the red zone, uh, where's, where I ended up. And a lot of people end up when they get burned out. And uh, people don't tend to care until they're in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to go from yellow to green or stay in green than go from red to yellow or green once mm-hmm. you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah so for a long time uh no no uh, uh no progress there at all and uh eventually i uh, you know you get desperate enough you you find solutions so uh, i was lucky enough to stumble over this functional therapist or nutritional therapist something like that mm-hmm. um maybe when i was 24 25 something like that and uh he could he could start help. He was an expert in th- these kind of syndromes, mm-hmm. and he uh, he could start uh, helping me with my my journey to heal. And uh, 
as he taught me, a lot of that was emotional. I was completely set. And I think this is common that it was completely physiological as well. No, no, no. Right. I have problems with my body. I'm fine mentally. Right. <laughs> and I've realized now the last two years, how much shit uh, was in there yeah. <laughs> emotionally. So yeah. both matters. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I have IBS and it uh, was for oh. a long time very like, this is just my body not functioning yeah. correctly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. But it's also easier too. I mean, that's what we're taught, right? And that's how a lot of doctors, maybe not anymore. I, I, I don't have the best relationship with general doctors uh, mm. now maybe. <laughs> so maybe I'm biased. But I think oftentimes before at least it's been a lot of black and white. Like you yeah. go to a psychologist for for the thoughts and you go to a, a, a doctor for the physical stuff. Right. When these things are intricately connected maybe we should think of them as <laughs> ah, yeah but that makes it harder yeah yeah right more complex less re reducible yeah. yeah 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 um uh, did you have any any plans like uh graduating high school what you wanted to do next um I mean, so so right when I started high school, I was still into guitar a lot. Mm -hmm. And I played in bands uh, during high school as well. And uh, so I, it was in the back of my mind that I, I kind of wanted to do music in, in some shape or form. But yeah, the workout, the workout addiction just took over to the point where I didn't spend a single day during those three years after school hanging out with friends from school because mm -hmm. I was going home to work out. Mm -hmm. Didn't miss one day, not once. So um, I don't think I thought about anything else, actually. <laughs> I And this is a funny story now in retrospect. You know how they say uh, comedy is tragedy plus time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then it was a tragedy, which is I, because I started developing panic attacks and stuff after this. And I remember having a full-blown panic episode uh, trying to decide what workout split to do, like how to split my body parts. Wow. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> that was all I was thinking about. So, no, I, I didn't really have any plans. And I meandered for a long time after this. Um, I, could, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't differentiate the years between 20 and 25. I don't think I could say what happened when. I don't have a clear chronology at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so so not really no did you did you start university or were you do, doing just odd jobs or yeah so a lot of um yeah just i tried to work as little as possible mainly because i was so tired and i felt so depressed but uh so i did shitty my first job was a phone salesman job because mm -hmm. anyone can get that mm -hmm. <laughs> and and I don't know, I don't know what this was, but because I was never a big drinker either because of the training. So I mm -hmm. never drank much, mm -hmm. but I had a period there when I started my new job where I started drinking for myself. Like I, I, I just decided that I was going to be, if I was going to be miserable. I was going to be a miserable drunk. Like that was going <laughs> to be the story. Right. So I, I was laying in the bathtub at my parents' house drinking whiskey. And you know, I hate, I hated the taste <laughs> and 
So I would come to, I came to the interview, it was a group interview. I was drunk a little bit. I managed to get the job anyway. And so I started part-time and then I just did part-time jobs here and there, you know, work in a store, work at a gym, uh, work as little as possible. Um, until I, I, I started to, um, I started something called the freedom business. Have you heard of this? Like, yep. you know, your laptop <laughs> and you're anywhere in the world, you can just work and, and live your lifestyle. So that I resonated with. So I tried a few business startups, but I didn't have the motivation for that. I did all the shallow stuff, mm-hmm. the website, the cards, you know, the fun design <laughs> stuff. But when it came to, came to selling the product, that's where I uh, gave up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is ironic because you were selling stuff for somebody else in a yeah. part-time job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Living the life, man. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. So I think everything turned around. Uh, yeah, no, I- I'll let you, I'll let you direct where you, where you're interested. I am. No, I think I- that's a good intuition. Where, when did it turn around? <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah so so I I I, li- I I moved I moved away from home around 20 21 years old I think I moved mm-hmm. in with a friend mm-hmm. and yeah I kind of withdrew from my family a bit I felt now in retrospect I realized I felt that that I didn't I needed a lot of help but I wasn't raised in the emotional uh, environment where where emotion and feeling uh, was something that was valued. Mm-hmm. My my dad was, he's not anymore, but he was when he was younger, very practical and like you know, you work hard, you keep your head down. Emotions, well, what are those? Like what are those for? Mm-hmm. So I learned very early on to bottle up the emotions, as many do, especially as guys, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, so yeah, I, I withdrew without really realizing that from my family a lot. And uh, I developed panic syndrome after a bad experience on drugs, on uh, uh, cannabis, way too much. I didn't, my body was already in a panic state. So that, that was just a facilitator, I think. But mm-hmm. it's like a three hour long panic attack um, where... Yeah, it was real, real traumatic for me. I've realized after that. So I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I developed some kind of low-grade PTSD, anxiety disorder, panic disorder. Mm-hmm. And I never told anyone. I didn't ask for help. And so that never helps, right? So I had a lot of panic attacks uh, at night when I lived there uh, with my friends. And uh, um yeah, it was a really shitty time. And I think, like I told you before the interview, it's it's easy to think that, I mean, I, I haven't been sexually abused. My parents were, were really sweet and they had the best intentions and I, I wasn't in a war or anything like that. But at the same time, I think you, you have to, to be able to heal, you have to admit to yourself that things can be extremely traumatic even if they don't look like it from the outside. Or if you you look at the circumstance and you're like, but that doesn't sound that bad, but mm-hmm. a panic response is a panic response, right? Your body still thinks it's dying. And if you don't know what to do with that, it's uh can be really shitty. Um, yeah. 
but at, at the same time, I, I yeah. So I found I had three months in America because at, at this time I met my my now wife, hmm. and we, uh, yeah, she kind of. Just to put it in perspective, when I met her, I was a complete piece of shit. So I had, <laughs> I had uh, uh, the night I met her, I had a tight T-shirt that I had made myself that said, <laughs> "Why be a pussy when you can be a dick?" <laughs> so take that in, just to get the vibe of it. Pair that with the Spider-Man torture, and you got you, know, <laughs> you got your guy there, <laughs> right? So. Uh, so I remember running into her, and the first thing she said to me was, that's the dumbest shirt I've ever seen, or something mm-hmm. like that. So she mm-hmm. called me out. So meeting her was um, probably the start of this, this exploration and this, uh, this new, new life. Um, but uh, So we, we had a long period where we tried to get her visa because she's American, mm-hmm. and she was just here working for a while. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, we had long, long distance relationship for a long time, and uh, that was very stressful. And then I came to America for three months. We had no idea where to go. We didn't have a place to live. We didn't have a visa timeline. It was in the middle of the Syrian uh, immigrant crisis as well, so the wait was very long. Mm-hmm. And so I had no idea what to do with my life. Didn't have any education. Felt like crap. So those three months in America, I remember, I, I that was my low point. I was definitely suicidal, and I, I just. My body was so bad. The pains, the, the the physical symptoms, the mental, the panicky. And nobody understood that because I, you know, when you're in the start of a new relationship, you don't want to take on all this shit. And you, you want to show your good side uh, in the beginning. So, so that was not fun. But then I found this guy who I've had on the podcast. Uh, Merrick Doyle is his name. Brilliant, compassionate man. And he's super super knowledgeable when it comes to the body so he slowly but surely helped me to to uh deal with both the emotional and the the physical stuff and uh yeah so i'm very very happy that i that i stumbled over him because without that i don't know where i'd be right now um hmm. is he american is... no he he's british oh uh so uh, he's uh yeah very charming fellow and uh Extremely, yeah, we're friends now. I mean, I worked with him for five years, but I've also been kind of a hard case. So now he's kind enough to help me as a friend uh, mm-hmm. going forward. He's pretty expensive, as he should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so now, yeah, now we're buddies. Cool. So you turned 30 recently? Yes. <clears throat> If I recall correctly, you said it's been the last two years that you've really felt like you're back on top of things or that you, yeah. So was it kind of like a five year or three, four year journey after you, after the burnout to, to come to that point? Yeah. Like, so, so I'd say, I mean, getting out of the deepest, uh, hits of despair there as it were that took me maybe two years or something two three years and then i wouldn't say it's it's, it's the last two years that i've actually started enjoying my life again Mm -hmm. um and a lot of it has been 
in conjunction with finding David Deutsch, Deutsch's stuff and his ideas mm-hmm. and really, really working on, yeah, the emotional stuff and realizing that you can separate pain from suffering because I still have, I still, excuse me, I still struggle with the physical stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. So I still have a lot of chronic pain uh, syndrome in my entire body. I have a chronic heartburn. Um, I have a lot of other shit that I don't want to talk about, like autoimmune stuff that's kind of nasty. So so I don't feel very good physically, unfortunately, still. But I've realized that there's, yeah, you can be uncomfortable and not suffer. And so I feel like the last two years have really excavated the emotional stuff to the point where I'm mostly just really uncomfortable. and mm-hmm. But I'm, I can still be happy. And, mm-hmm. and still try to live my life, you know. I'm still working on it. I'm still hopeful that I can get somewhere. But um, yeah, so I'm I'm very grateful to be in a better place now. It's it's very very different. And my wife is a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. God bless her. So she managed to get a visa, and um, you guys live now in uh, in Gothenburg. Yeah, and you you got married um, in Sweden. Yeah, that was also such a. It was the completely wrong thing to do at the time. It was just the. It was also very impulsive, very concussiony type uh, <laughs> impulsive decision, uh, for the wrong reasons. But it, it ended up very nicely. So we've been married for six years, coming up on seven next February, and we've been living here in Sweden for yeah for six six years or something like that, and. Right. Uh, so I, I, I recently, we're going to move to Stockholm now in, in a few weeks and I'm going to start a new job. She has a new great job and we're going to go on to the next adventure here together. Cool. So, um, man, it's going to be exciting. And you, in between at some point, you uh, did a bachelor in cognitive science. Is that right? That's right. Yes. So I don't know if you can relate to this maybe, but... I, yeah, you know, when you, because I got big into self-help, uh, <laughs> which is w- when I had my crash in between 20 and 25, I was all into the self-improvement and stuff like that. And that can be extremely bad uh, and stressful if you approach it from the ro- wrong direction. Like mm-hmm. instead of, okay, how can I improve something, but I'm already good as I am. Mm-hmm. Like I can improve my behavior, my thinking, my circumstances. I can't improve my worth as a person. Right. But if it's about, oh, I need to improve myself because I'm not worthy, it's it's uh, a little dangerous. Mm-hmm. So um, um, so I was big into self-improvement and uh, I, I completely now blanked um, what the question was actually. <laughs> about uh, university? Doing your yeah, university. So thank you. So, so I had this idea from that, that, you know, you don't need a university and look at all Steve Jobs and all these people. You just need to, you know, be diligent, get up at 5 a.m. and do jumping jacks outside. And I actually did that, even though I lived at home, had no job, and needed sleep more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. But, um, but yeah, so, so I was under the impression that I, I'm not going to university. I don't need that. That's for losers, or that's, that's not the right thing. Mm-hmm. But then I slowly realized, being with, with my wife, that um, maybe that could be good to get some structure and actually find something I was interested in mm-hmm. and start building towards a normal life instead of just drifting around. Um, so, uh, 
So cognitive science sounded really, really cool. So I started that when I was 25. It's fairly late. And I did three years of that. Uh, graduated recently. Yeah. Cool. Um, and it seems like you're still very interested in cognitive science, maybe even more so than when you were studying it. Yeah, I, I would say I'm extremely interested in yeah how the how our minds work hmm. um and i think cognitive science to a large extent studies um less of less of what i think to be the mind uh, and more of the brain yeah and the other programs running on the brain hmm. besides the knowledge creating creative program um so i'm less interested in that now um I have a basic understanding, which I think is fun. And I think computer science is interesting. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to start learning to program a little bit for my next, next work role. So I'm cool. interested in, in computation and, and, and uh, representation and all that. But uh, yeah, and wanting to understand, I think I've come to the conclusion that what I want to do um, intellectually is I want to understand progress, both in terms of how people make progress at large, but also how, how you make progress as an individual hmm. uh, and how you get rid more than anything, how you get rid of hindrances to progress in your own mind. Hmm. Um, that I'm very intrigued by. Yeah. And, and how did you stumble across David Deutsch? What was the, was it one of the, his books that you? No, actually it was. And, and it's fun to get the question asked because I ask it so often to, <laughs> to my guests and almost everyone has a similar story, actually. I'd be curious to hear yours. Mm -hmm. But it's Sam Harris. People were into Sam Harris. Oh, yeah. And then they heard David Deutsch on Sam Harris's podcast saying, you made two or three arguments there, all of which were wrong. <laughs> and just think, whoa, but, but Harris, he's so good. And he has all the answers. And this guy is just fucking yeah. <laughs> demolishing him. So um, It's super interesting. I actually didn't find David Deutsch that convincing on Sam Harris's podcast. Mm. otherwise i would have discovered him earlier because he was on Simon's right. podcast like four years ago or something like that. yeah oh that's, that's interesting so so what what made you change your mind later on reading his books yeah but what prompted you to do it was it um, after the the beginning of infinity was recommended to me on 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 my kindle at some point and i was downloading like everything i was recommended and <laughs> right, um, right. and i will read um I don't know, like 100, 200 samples on my Kindle every wow. year. And then I'll just only when I'm like totally convinced that this is an amazing book, will I continue after the sample. And uh, the beginning of Infinity. That's a really cool method. Yeah. And the beginning of Infinity was one of those, was one of those books where I was just like, holy shit, I need to keep reading. And, <laughs> and, I, and I read it all within a few days and was very convinced. It was also one of those experiences where, um, I felt like every chapter in that book could have been a book on its own, like, or yeah. conversely, most books I find I could have just read, like, I don't know, a summary of it and it would have been enough. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't have that feeling with the beginning of infinity it was so deep, so dense. Um, mm -hmm. And so I looked to see if it written anything else and saw the fabric of reality and immediately read that <laughs> and, and thought that was also really interesting. Um, it's, it's, it's hard for me. Sometimes I get confused between these two books because um, I can't remember what is in which and because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're so similar somehow, but 
also quite different. It's um, kind of, I find it kind of hard to explain that. And for me, they're just merged into this David Deutsch yeah, philosophy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so how how long ago was this? Uh, last year, I think, beginning of last year or something oh, like that. So it's fairly new still. Yeah. But so, do you feel like? Because for me, I mean, that's why I started my own podcast to to digest these ideas. Mm. And I mean, it's taking me almost two years and rereading the books and really, you know, discussing them from different angles to to actually grasp the whole coherent yeah. worldview. Yeah. So how where do you feel you are on that? Is it still fairly new or are you Yeah, I mean I've now read The Beginning of Infinity three times, I think, and the fabric of reality mm. twice so I, it's also been that experience of like i need to read this again like that yeah yeah, yeah. um and i i think there's very few books i think the first book i had that feeling with was um the art of learning by josh waitskin mm. um and he was a, a world champ in tai chi and an international grandmaster in chess and um very talented dude and um his book, uh, something totally not on my radar, a, f a friend like put it into my hands and said, hey, this is a, a gift for you. Uh, I think you would like it. And um, I read the sleeve and I was like, I don't know, this doesn't sound like my kind of thing. But I was like, okay, he's a friend. Maybe he knows something I don't. And started reading it and was like, wow, this is really interesting. And when I finished it, I remember turning the, closing the back cover, I'd finished the book and I was just like, whoa, turned it straight back to the front and started reading again. Like... <laughs> Wow, um, and it's it's uh, it's it's kind of autobiographical about his life and how he got into the chess and the tai chi and stuff, and still somehow just very deep ideas and felt very mm. compelling. <clears throat> yeah, and that's the experience I had with David Deutsch. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's like you said there. Mo most books are mostly fluff, and then you have ten percent that are the gems yeah. if you're lucky, but. Yeah, with David's book, it's uh, books. It's just uh, it's turned around, right? So, or, or I would even say that it's it's hard to find any fluff because it's so mm -hmm. so dense. Yeah, and so once you find books like that, or, or the art of learning, in your case, you, I mean, it's a treat. It's nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess you'll only find a handful of those books in your lifetime, maybe. Yeah. So. I actually, when I first uh, came to the end of the first chapter and the beginning of infinity and he had these like chapter summaries i was like what the fuck is this like <laughs> i was like kind of annoyed like because i was like oh why would i need that yeah why would i need that and <laughs> and and this is like a textbook i hate this like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and now i really appreciate it because after reading it three times you you kind of see it like oh this is and uh yeah it's just kind of reiterating what he said and I know somehow yeah. like it restated in a different way. I think also, I think that's something I didn't appreciate before I read David Deutsch was how important for knowledge, communication and transfer reiteration from different perspectives and, and or in different words yes. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but just, just here, I mean, that's the difference between just reiterating word by word what you've heard someone else say and yeah. actually understand the content enough and i know for for myself i spent a lot of maybe half of the episodes of the podcast just literally reiterating what david says verbatim right <laughs> and even if i didn't understand what he meant you know i yeah and i hate that feeling now where you you say something that you don't really know what it means but you know it can fit there 
mm-hmm. and it would sound good. Mm-hmm. And then someone pushes back and you notice how shallow an yeah. understanding you had, right? Yeah. So I, I never want to experience that again. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so yeah, yeah, that's fun to hear. Mm. So how did, how did you start the podcast? It's good, by the way, so our listeners will not have heard of your podcast, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So it's called uh, Do Explain mm-hmm. with Christopher Lovgren. If I'm like butchering your name, do tell me. <laughs> no, that that's good. Okay. That's cool. The, the cool international pronunciation. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. So, so essentially it was, well, for, two part. First, I've always wanted to, not always, but I, I've, for a long time, I've wanted to do a podcast. I, I, I love conversation. And I think that's why I talked so much in school. I hate taking notes. Mm-hmm. And I haven't taken a single note all throughout university and I stopped in high school as well. I don't, it doesn't give me anything. Mm -hmm. And so I need to ask questions. I need to speak with someone. I need to think out loud. And so, uh, and I love to talk. So I love Joe Rogan and I love Sam Harris. And I felt like, okay, what would a podcast look like if we had the conversational fun vibe of someone like Joe Rogan who can talk to to anyone? Mm -hmm. And then you combine that with some uh, the the stringent, logically very rational uh, thinking of Sam Harris, and you add to that the proper epistemology. What would that be? Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to explain to be right. That's nice. And, I uh, can feel that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool. And uh, but so so like I said before, the, the first ten episodes was essentially it was an excuse to talk to cool people, mm-hmm. and I was so intrigued by these ideas, and I found you know on Twitter. And for people who don't know, these are people within the community who are uh, working on similar ideas to David Deutsch mm-hmm. uh, or adjacent to him. And so Luli Tanit and we had Brett Hall and these people that I'm now personal friends with and very lucky to be uh, have met. And, and so um, that was just an excuse. It's so nice. You know that yourself, I'm sure. Like, hey, man, I have a podcast. Can I can I ask you about your stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Yeah. So it's it's a very nice trick. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. And, uh, yeah. It, it it definitely is. And so uh, yeah, it was it's partly that as well. And uh, yeah, now it's just it's just fun to to talk to interesting people, and especially when it's less about coming across well and trying to be someone special, and more about just having fun and expressing yourself together uh talk about interesting ideas laugh together um so yeah i, I really enjoy doing it mm. uh it's interesting because i only got uh, found your podcast recently as well i i've re- listened to i don't know the most recent 10 12 episodes something like that okay yeah, so i haven't yeah. heard the only stuff except for the david deutsch episode i think i jumped back and yeah, listened to that one um yeah so I, I'm, I'm still working my way back through your catalogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know if I want to know. Uh, it would be actually interesting to hear how you think, uh, how it differs from the early ones. Mm. The early ones were more clear. I did with my buddy, Charlie, who's oh yeah uh, was at the time way more into the ideas at that point. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to pick his brain on that. Mm-hmm. And we had more of a jokey vibe back and forth. There. Yeah, I think I have listened but, to one with you and him. Yeah, yeah. And he's great. He's great. And so I, I'd be curious to know uh, for my selfish reasons here, but but firstly, what would you think of the podcast, um, having found these ideas and fi- finding them interesting? Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, how come you invited me? Why, why did you want to talk to me on your podcast? <laughs> yeah, 
I, you know, my, 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 uh, for this podcast, my, um, reasoning is very intuitive. I, I told myself that from the beginning, mm-hmm. if I get a feeling, like if I get that feeling, like I want to sit down with this person and ask them about their life story for two hours, mm-hmm. then I invite I them on the podcast. That. That's it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Cause it's all about the vibe and going with what you're interested in. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Um, well, I'm honored. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming. Um, <laughs> I think this is a, a good place to, 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 to end it. Um, um, what's the website for your podcast? Do explain.org. That's right. That's right. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. And, uh, I can recommend uh, your podcast for anyone interested in in the Deutschian ideas and epistemology and how to think clearly, because uh, I think that's that's what it's all about and and having fun. <laughs> Thank you for listening all the way to the end. To support this podcast, rate and review it in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and share it on social media. Thank you.